Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Amen. Thank you, Miss Mimi. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Psalms, chapter number 70. Psalms chapter 70. It's where we'll be for our time together this evening. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near or around you, perhaps in the back of the seat behind you, maybe in the back of the seat in front of you. And we would encourage you to pick up that copy of God's Word and follow along with us. Psalms chapter 70, and it's five verses this evening. Let's, let's all stand together. We can stand for the reading of five of them, I'm sure. Psalms chapter 70, five verses this evening. And you'll, you'll pick up on the theme of the psalm rather quickly as it makes its appearance several times, four different times throughout this entire chapter. Psalms chapter 70, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. Psalms chapter 70, verse number 1. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward and put into confusion that desire my hurt. Let them be turned back for reward of their shame that say, Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. And let such as love thy salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God, for thou art my helper and my deliverer, O Lord. Make no tarrying. You know, just as I do, all those places in the Bible where the writers of the Bible encourage us to wait on the Lord. In fact, you could probably remember, you could call to memory, several different passages in the Bible where you're encouraged to do that. Isaiah is probably one of the most famous passages. Wait on the Lord and you shall, what is it? Mount up with wings as eagles. You'll run and not be what? Weary. You'll walk and you will not faint. Even in our study of Psalms, we've already come to this idea of waiting on the Lord several times. Psalms 25 Psalms 27, Psalms 39. Every one of those passages and several others, the psalmist encourages us, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, wait on the Lord, don't faint, wait on the Lord. Your hope is in waiting on the Lord. Over and over, you'll you'll see this entire idea, waiting on God. We are to wait on the Lord. We're to be patient, we're to trust Him, we're to follow Him. When we say, wait on the Lord, what do we mean? We mean be patient, wait, submit yourself to God's timing. But is that all we're supposed to do? That's the question. Is that all we can do? Is is all that we're supposed to do and is all that we can do is to simply wait. Make your prayer known to God, make your request known to God, and then sit and wait. Well, this psalm and others would actually tell us, no, there's actually more that you can do. You can ask God to hurry up. Okay, God, I am waiting, but can you hurry while I wait? In fact, that's the exact phrase. Look at verse number one. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. The phrase, make haste, is literally, speed it up. 
Okay, Lord, I'm waiting. You're God, I'm not. But make haste, do it quickly. Help me and help me fast. The psalm ends in verse number five. But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God. Thou art my help and my deliverer. O Lord, make no tarry. And he's saying, don't be slow about it. Do it, do it quick. Don't drag your feet, but move it along. Make haste. We said this over and over in our study of Psalms. If you want to know what, it's, what a particular chapter in the psalm is about, a good way to figure it out is to look at the first verse and to look at the last verse because normally those are the bookends for the psalm. They serve as a way of indicating here's the beginning, here's the end, and everything in the middle has a way of relating to one of these two things. Well, look at the first verse. Make haste. And look at the last verse. Make haste. So what is this psalm about? It's about the Lord making haste. About answering the psalmist, but not answering the psalmist slowly, but answering the psalmist quickly. This makes me wonder, do we pray like this? Do I pray like this? Do we make our request to God? God, here's my request. Here's my prayer. Answer my prayer and do it quickly. Do we pray like this? And if we do, or if we don't, should we? That's what we'll aim to answer, right? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. I pray that you would, Father, teach us great and wonderful truths out of your word, and do so quickly. And in Jesus' name, and all the church said, amen. You may be seated. Three ideas. Number one, notice the context. The context of the crisis, and here it is. We do not know exactly what the crisis that David is facing. It's not, it's not mentioned for us. And there are other psalms where David is very specific, or the psalmist is very specific about the problem that he is encountering, or the problem that he is facing. We don't know what that psalm is. We do know a little bit of the psalm that it is somehow in relation to other people in his life. Right? We know that because in verse number two says, let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. So whatever the trouble is that David is facing has to do with a troublemaker, right? It's someone else in David's life who's causing this trouble in David's life or in David's heart. So while we don't know the exact context, the exact context, we do know that David is facing at least some sort of serious trouble some sort of crisis that is causing there to be this urgency in David's life. That got me thinking. That got me thinking about who was it in David's life that caused him trouble? You could probably come up with a couple of your own. Who was it in David's life that caused him trouble? Well, there was, there was King Saul when Saul was hunting David down, right? There was Goliath when, when David was uh, descending down into the valley of Elah to, to fight him. There was his son Absalom who was rebellious and led a coup against David and drove David out of town and took David's throne for a time. There was Ahithophel, this, this trusted counselor from David. There, there's all kinds of people throughout David's life where they caused him trouble. So there's going to be any number of them, right? This is probably true for you. It's probably true for me. And David has a lot of people in his life where there is these different seasons or troubles or trials or scenarios where David is facing a, a difficulty because of 
a situation that has arisen bet between them. Like lots of people, David is experiencing this, this heartbreak, this heartache, a certain setback. David, even throughout the Psalms we've already seen, has experienced sickness and depression and doubt. So these kind of inner turmoil, this inner trouble. There's not a lot in 2019 that we can be certain of, but there are a few things that we can be certain of, and this is one of them. And here it is, that we will face trouble. Every person in this room can be guaranteed that you will face some sort of trouble in the coming year. Happy New Year. Aren't you glad you came to church? Well, what'd you learn at the New Year? Well, I learned I'm going to face trouble this year. That's what I'm going to face. And all of us can be guaranteed that we will face some sort of trouble. And oftentimes when we face trouble, we face challenges, we face crisis, we face difficulty, we're, we're often shocked by that. We're surprised. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be surprised that we face trouble. We, we shouldn't be surprised that we face difficulty. We shouldn't be shocked at the idea that there will be some sort of suffering or some sort of crisis or some sort of urgency in our life. In fact, Spurgeon, writing on this very text, says this, There is no greater mercy that I know of on the earth than good health, except it be sickness. And that has often been a greater mercy to me than health. It is a good thing to be without trouble, but it is a better thing to have trouble and to know how to get grace enough to bear it. Wow. It's a good thing to be in good health, but it's a greater thing to be in trouble and to know how to get grace enough to bear whatever that trouble may be. So David sits at the outset of this psalm and he faces a trouble. Here you and I sit at the outset of a brand new year and what can we be certain of? What can we be guaranteed of? We can be guaranteed that not all that we hope or dream or expect in 2019 will come true and we can be guaranteed that it is certainly true we will face some sort of trouble in 2019 whether it's your health, whether it's a relationship, whether it's something with the economy, whether it's something with politics, whether it's something relationally inside of your family, whether it's something at your job, something at your home, something with your car, something with your children, something with your grandchildren, whatever it may be, we can be certain of this, that we will face trouble. In fact, if you want to see a constant reminder about this, read the Bible. Over and over in the Bible, they present this kind of stark reality that even people going after the Lord, seeking to please the Lord, face trouble. So we should not be, we should not be off. We should not be surprised by this. We should not be caught off guard by this. And as trouble is like, uh, trouble is born to a man in this world. That's what Job says. And yet, the difference between David and us is David's response. So number one, the context of the crisis, David is facing some sort of trouble. 
This, is, this has been true. How many of you are glad about this, about most of the Psalms, right? This has been very true about most of the Psalms. David writes them out of some sort of experience of trouble or difficulty in his life. So the difference is the crisis of, or the context of the crisis, number two, the, the priority of prayer. That when David faces trouble, he does not simply grumble, he does not simply complain, he does not simply make his pain known to those around them, but David makes his pain, his trouble, known to the Lord. And David turns his trouble into a prayer, and he jumps right into the deep end with both feet, doesn't he? Look at verse number one. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. You make haste to help me, O Lord. I mean, he goes, he goes right to it. He cuts right to the chase, does he not? I mean, he gets right to the point. Lord, I'm coming and I'm asking you. I'm spending time in prayer because I need your help or deliverance. And I didn't need it yesterday. I need it today, right? And I don't need it tomorrow, but I need it today. I don't need it a week from now. I need it today. Make haste. And David confesses his inability to deliver himself. And in fact, that's what prayer really is. Prayer is a recognition of your own inability in a situation or in a circumstance. Why pray about something? Because you need the Lord to intervene in that something. Because you need the Lord to help you with that someone. That's what David does. David faces this crisis, this trouble with these individuals. And in doing so, he drops to his knees. He does three things in his prayer. He prays for himself. He prays for his enemies. And he prays for other believers. Let, let's look at it. Look at verse number one. Make haste. Oh God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, oh Lord. And David is not ashamed to make his request known unto God. This is what, just what James says in the New Testament. One of the reasons why we don't have answer to prayer is because we have not made our request known to God. We have not asked the Lord. We have not taken our petitions to the Lord and asked Him to meet these needs in our lives. We haven't asked the Lord. And because we have not asked, we have not received. Now that, that to me is one of the most stark, one of the most contrasting verses in all of the Bible. The reason you do not have is because you have not asked. And if you would have asked, you would have received. Isn't that amazing? One of the most unbelievable verses in the Bible. And yet, one of the reasons we don't ask is because we like to be very independent. We do not like, we of all people, do not like to be dependent on anyone for anything. And prayer is a recognition of our own inability. Prayer is an admission of our own dependence on the Lord, on God answering these requests for us or petitions for us. When you pretend to be self-sufficient, you short-circuit God's power in your life. David here admits his own inadequacy. God, I can't handle this. God, I can't do this. God, I can't take this. And God, I need you to hurry up and answer this for me. Notice something about David's prayer. David does not use the acrostic acts when he goes to the Lord in prayer. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The acrostic act. Adoration, confess. Right? How many of you heard that before? The, the, the acrostic act. David does not use the model of the Lord's prayer. How many of you know the Lord's prayer? Right? Our Father which art in heaven. David doesn't use that model. 
David doesn't use the, 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 the model of, of acts, you know, adoration. David doesn't use that. David doesn't use the model of the Lord's prayer in this. David simply comes into the Lord's presence. He cuts right to the point and he asks God to help him and to help him quickly. Urgent prayers, quick prayers, short prayers, expectant prayers. However you want to address these prayers or this prayer in Psalms 70, you can at least address it this way. It is nothing but honest. David makes this urgent, severe, maybe even harsh, maybe even brutal, maybe honest prayer before the Lord. Hear, hear me on this. If we long for God to provide something for us, but we do not express that longing or that desire when we pray, then we are not being honest before the Lord. It, it, one of the ways that we, we um, one of the ways we short circuit our own prayer is pretending like there's only this certain vernacular that you can use while you pray. This, this certain piousness about praying, that you've got to go all these hoops, you've got to do all these things, you've got to use this certain, certain formula. What, it, what really is prayer in the end? Prayer really is your heart poured out before the Lord about whatever it is that your heart is feeling. Oftentimes when we do not trust the Lord with the desires of our heart, with the longings, the fears, the concerns of our heart, oftentimes that causes there to grow in our heart this sense of frustration or, or bitterness, resentment, and at least a disingenuousness toward the Lord. It's like meeting somebody at church and saying, hey, how are you doing? And that person going, good. And that's the answer, right? It's almost like well, it wasn't genuine, it wasn't sincere, it wasn't authentic. It was just this quick, one-word, good answer. And there's a disingenuineness about that. And the same can be true when it comes to our prayers. And notice, notice this as well about this prayer. It's only five verses long. And verse number one and verse number five are really the same thing. David makes an exceptionally short Prayer. I love what Adrian Rogers says on this point. He says, there, are, there is a time for long prayers, but sometimes short prayers will do. There is a time for long prayers, but sometimes short prayers will do. When we ask God to work, we, we're generally we're asking God to help us in a specific area. Lord, please do this and do this quickly it causes there to be a sincerity along with our prayer. Remember when Peter was, was, remember when Peter got out of the boat and he went to the Lord to walk on the water? How many of you remember that story in the New Testament? Peter gets out of the boat to walk on the water to go to Jesus, and then he sees the waves, and then Peter, the Bible says, beginning to sink, he looks out to the Lord, and what does he say? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, does he say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my Lord the soul to, is that what he says, yes or no? No, no, Peter sees the waves beginning to sink, cries out to the Lord, Lord, save me, Lord, help me. That's it, like, like three-word prayer. Lord, help me. And the Lord reaches down and he pulls him out of the water. There are sometimes some things in your life where a short prayer will suffice. 
Well, I just don't even know what to pray. If I, be, if I ask the Lord to help me in this situation, I'm not for sure what I would pray. How about, Lord, make haste. Help me quickly. Oh, God, be my help and deliverer. And do it speedily, God. Lord, save me. That's what Peter does. That's what David does. Not just that. David prays for himself. Lord, make haste. Deliver me. Help me. And do it fast. Number, number two, David prays for his enemies. Look at verse number two and verse number three. Let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion that desire my hurt. And let them be turned back for a reward of their shame that say, aha, aha. The aha, aha there is, is literally like, ha, we got you. No, there's no help for you, David. You're, you're trapped. You're stuck. And we're not going to let you out of this situation that you are now in. Ha, ha, ha. We got you. That's the, that's the idea there. So David David asks for his enemies to be a couple things. Look at verse number two. David asks for his enemies to be ashamed, to be confounded, to be turned backward, literally help them have no direction, to help them be put to confusion and then turned back again for the reward of saying, aha, aha. Now David prays for the shame, the confusion, the failure of his enemies. And immediately, the little lawyer in our heart, Matlock steps up and goes, nuh-uh. Because the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus says that you're supposed to pray for your enemies. And you're supposed to love them that persecute you. So now, how do you you reconcile David praying for his enemies to be ashamed, confused, confounded, turned backward, caught in their own traps, versus Jesus saying, pray for your own enemies? How do those square together? Well, David is specifically asking this. And David is not saying, strike my enemies with lightning and leprosy. That's not what he's asking. David is asking for his enemies to simply be confounded or confused in their own evil designs. David is saying, God, help my enemies to be frustrated in their attempts to overthrow what you have put into place, what you have set into motion. David asked for those who plan to do evil, those who plan to sin, those who plan to cause hurt. That's that's actually what he says in verse number two. Look at the end. They that desire my hurt. David says those who plan to do evil, those who plan to do wrong, those who plan to set about my hurt. God, take all of their actions and turn their actions around and do that on themselves. I think we're meant to see that we are not supposed to be passive in our response toward those who do evil. And we, as God's people, are not to be passive in response to those who do evil, who cause hurt, who spread lies, who tell gossip. We're not supposed to be passive in our response to them. Why? Because God is not passive in his response toward them. And God does not look down at those who do evil and go, well, let's just let them alone. I'm sure it'll work itself out. No, God judges the quick and to death. Every idle word spoken by man's mouth will be judged. All the deeds done in the body are recorded in the books that are in heaven. And the Lord pulls them out at the day of judgment. 
And so as God's people, we're not supposed to sit back and go, well, we'll just let the Lord take care of it and God will deal with it and let's just, let's just act like nothing happened and let's just move along and my feelings aren't hurt and my dreams aren't crushed and those words stick to the stones and break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, no, no. Sometimes it hurts and it's frustrating and it's difficult. And what should our response be? Similar to David's. The Lord, those who are causing her and those who are bringing about confusion and those who are going, ha ha, we got you, ha ha, we got you. Lord, turn that on them and use it on their own head. And David prays for himself. David prays for his enemies. Lastly, David prays for others. Look at verse number four. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee and let such as love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. So let's just take that verse just piece by piece. It's a lot in there. How do we seek the Lord? Let all those that seek thee, so all those that seek the Lord. How is, how is the Lord to be sought? How do we seek after the Lord? What is, what is it in our life that we do but that would indicate a seeking after, a pursuing, a going after the Lord in that way? One of the ways we seek the Lord is by spending time with the Lord. One of the ways we speak the, seek the Lord is by spending time in God's Word. So, so hear me on this point. Time with God and time in God's Word is important as it has ever been, and especially during times of trouble. So when we face trouble, where should we go? What should we look for? Who should we run to? And David's answer is, those that seek the Lord. So in time of trouble, time of crisis, where, what should we do? We should seek to spend time, look to spend time with the Lord. You should, in your time of trouble, fill your mind with God's Word. You should, in your time of trouble, fill your mind with the Word of God. Going to Him, spending time with Him. Not just Google searching, what does it mean when you get this medical diagnosis? Oh my goodness, I'm going to die. We spend all this time searching WebMD, trying to figure out what the ramifications of this diagnosis is, as opposed to spending time with the Lord. I have a tummy ache. What, what must that mean? i got to Google search this thing. I've... The tummy ache for three days now. It means you ate way too much at Christmas. That's what it means. Search, seek, pursue, go after. Listen, in your time of trouble, fill your mind with the Word of God. In your time of trouble, in your time of crisis, fill your mind, spend time in God's Word. Get into God's Word every single day of your life. This is a wonderful time of the year to be reminded about that. The beginning time at the beginning of the year is a wonderful time. Many people make commitments at the beginning of the year to do all sorts of things, all these resolutions to accomplish all sorts of things in 2019. And one of the things on your list ought to be spending time every day in God's Word. In a marriage, if a husband and wife never spend time alone with each other, the relationship struggles. If that is true humanly, in a, in, a, in a marriage with husband and wife, then that is infinitely true as it relates to your spiritual condition with God. 
must spend time with the Lord, seeking, going after, pursuing the Lord. How do you do that? What are the ways that we seek the Lord? Sometimes if you're not careful, we just, we go all Christianese. We're supposed to seek the Lord, seek him first, and then all these things will be added unto you. What does it mean though? What does it mean to seek the Lord? And in what way in 2019 are you seeking the Lord? It must be very simple, must be very practical, put into practice in your life. And the ways you seek the Lord is by spending time with the Lord, and the ways you pursue the Lord, go after the Lord, is by spending time in God's Word, pursuing, going after, seeking, looking for it. Here's how it sounds in the New Testament. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So in times of trouble, what happens? Our faith gets shaky. Well, how do we make sure that we stabilize our faith? By spending time in God's Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The way your faith is increased is by the amount of time you spend. It's equal to the amount of time you spend in God's Word. And notice this, he also says this, let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee continually. The, the, the key phrase there, let all those. So David in the midst of his trouble, his enemies are attacking him. He's surrounded on every side. He's being overwhelmed. He's being hurt. He's being lied about. He's being trapped. Ha ha, ha, we got you. We finally got you. What does David say? David says, I pray for my enemies. David says, um, I pray for myself. David says, lastly, I pray for others. When you experience trouble, suffering, a crisis, it's very difficult to think about other people. Most people, when they suffer, only ever think about themselves. How they feel. What they experienced. How they perceive it. Most people, when they go through trouble, almost immediately feel isolated to everyone else. That's why when we go through trouble, it's why it always boils over, bubbles over, causes some other controversy in our life. We start arguing with a... With a, with a aunt or an uncle. It's why we start arguing with cousins. It's why we start arguing with brothers or sisters about how we think something should have or shouldn't have gone. Why? Because now we're facing trouble. We, and when we face trouble, we normally only think about ourselves. And we don't think about others around us. D David is showing us that in our time of trouble, we need support from others in our lives. You were made, built, crafted to need and support and pray one for another. You want a really fun study? You want a really fun homework study? Go to the New Testament and look up how many times the phrase one another is used in the New Testament. It'd be a wonderful homework study for you. How many times the New Testament uses pray one for another, give one to another, serve one another, love one another, and in doing so, what happens? You have, you have fulfilled the law of Christ in that what? In that you have loved your neighbor as yourself. God never meant for you to go through life, trouble, crisis, success on your own. And one of the weaknesses we have when we face trouble is we cut ourselves off from everybody around us. And one of the things that happens inside the church, hear me on this point, one of the things that happens inside the church is when we see someone else going through trouble, we isolate, we pull ourselves back from them, we separate from them because we don't know what to say. How many have ever been there? 
Like you've watched somebody else go through something, you're like, man, I feel bad for him, but what do I say? How about just this? Hey, I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I'm praying for you. How many of you feel like that would be a really good thing to start the conversation with? And yet often when we see somebody going through trouble, instead of going, I don't know what to say. I don't, hey, hey, I'm praying for you. Instead of just engaging them in that way, we kind of push back and we go, well, if they really wanted to talk about it, well, I'm sure they would say something to me. Because that's how everyone likes to go through church. Hey, can I tell you about how bad my day was? Hey, can I tell you how bad my, can I tell you how bad my, no, no, no. And most people, when they feel trouble, they feel very isolated from the people in and around their lives. And most people, when they watch someone go through trouble, instead of trying to engage them and be there for them, they separate from them because they, I don't really know what to say. It's kind of embarrassing. Like, I don't even know where to begin. Just begin with, hey, I'm praying for you. Or if you're the person going through trouble, just begin with, hey, I need you to pray for me. It's a great way to start that conversation. And notice this, that when that happens, let God be magnified. See the end of the verse, verse before. So let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. And let such as love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. Look at verse number five, last one, number three, a basic belief. But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God. Thou art my help and my deliverer. O Lord, make no tarrying. But I am poor and needy. This is profoundly realistic. God, I'm going through something difficult. Here are these people attacking me. Here's all this hurt that they're causing me. Here's how they've trapped me. Here's how they're saying, ha ha, aha, we got you. Lord, turn confusion on their own head. Give them no direction. Help them to be frustrated in their own plans. And oh yeah, by the way, Lord, I am poor and needy. One of the reasons why we kick back against trouble is here's what we think. We think we do not deserve the trouble we're facing. One of the reasons why we fall apart when things start to come apart is because we feel superior to the trouble. Well, I don't deserve this. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to go through this. Don't you know how many times I've been to church? I don't know how much money I give. Don't you know the ways I serve? I even went to church on Wednesday night. Why why am I going through this? Look, David says, I am poor and needy. It is profoundly realistic in his view of himself. Similar to what Job was able to maintain for most of his suffering, through that one little part where Job stands up and goes, you know what, God, all of my friends and my wife, I think think that they might be right. So Lord, I would like for you to answer why all this is happening to me. And then God shows up and Job goes, oh, I wish I would have never opened my mouth, right? And Job has one little trip, and God just shows up and just decimates everything Job. Job, where are you? Who were you? Why were you? Who am I? And Job goes, you're right. I'm poor and needy. I should never open my mouth. And that's where David is. David is right here. He faces his trouble, and he realizes he has a very good, realistic view of his own situation. Lord, I am poor, and I am needy. Why should we not be shocked when we face trouble in 2019? Why should you not be shocked? Why should I not be shocked? Here's why. Because we are poor and needy, that's why. And to the, deg- to the degree that you think you are rich and self-sufficient, 
you will be shocked at the idea of suffering coming into your life. To the degree that you think, I've got this and I deserve better than this and don't people appreciate me? And I, I'm a, To the degree that you think that about yourself, you will be turned upside down when trouble comes. But to the degree that you realize, Lord, I'm poor and needy. I cannot do this on my own. I need help. I need a deliverer. And I need you to get here quickly. Lord, save me. I'm drowning under the waves. To the degree that you see yourself in that situation, the degree that you'll be able to handle the trouble and respond correctly to it. The Bible is terribly matter-of-fact when it comes to Everyone sees trouble in their life. It rains on the just and the unjust. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's where David ends this. But I am poor and needy. Now watch this. Make haste unto me, O God, for thou art my help and my deliverer. O Lord, make no tarry. All the personal pronouns there. Lord, you're my help. Lord, you're my deliverer. Lord, you make haste and come to me. Lord, you give me deliverance. The Bible provides us with a realistic view of our own situation. We're all poor and needy. But the, but the Bible provides us with the only remedy for our situation, and that is God is not poor and needy. God has never been confounded. God has never been confused. God sees the beginning from the end. And God has actually entered into our world. He has suffered for us and he has suffered with us. And God enters into our world. He suffered for us and providing a way of escape and he suffers with us. When you are in trouble, you are not alone. It may be difficult, it may be hurtful, it may be confusing, it may be painful, it may be scary, it may be frustrating, but you are not alone. So what is it that God gives you in trouble? What is it that God gives you when you're in trouble? He gives you himself. You are my deliverer. Thou, you, you are my deliverer. I love what John Newton said. We'll end with this. John Newton's maxim. Everything is needful that God sends and nothing can be needful that God withholds. Everything is needful that God sends and nothing can be needful that God withholds. Why? Because he's God. And we're not. And we can believe him, and we can trust him, and we can follow him. And I'm just like you. I'm looking at 2019, and I'm going, man, I cannot wait for this year. I believe this is going to be a great year. My own individual family and our church family, I think God's going to do some great and mighty things. But when the day of trouble strikes... What will our response be? What will our response be? Will it be like David's? Or will it be like most? Will we be able to say, Lord, I'm poor and needy, so God, it has to be you? 
Or will we say, we're rich and self-sufficient, so God will take care of this on our own. Oh, that we might have the response that David did. 